If you like to get it done and not spend more than is necessary to learn anything, this is the podcast for you. It's named after my book, Eight Minutes to Ageless. Just 15 minutes every week, you will learn something cool to make your body better, your life better, your mind better. I share tips from my books, from other great healthcare books, some interviews with people who are making life look easy, and peeks into some case studies I see every day as a chiropractor. I've been a practicing healthcare provider for 40 years and have about another 20 under my belt because I love to see people get well, feel better, have hope, and make life better for those around them. My name is Kelly Pearson, and I'm the host of this podcast. So let's get going. Well, hello, this is Kelly Pearson back with you after a little hiatus. I apologize so much. We had some software challenges and and then a lot of things going on in life that didn't allow me to hop in and fix it as readily as I would like, and I apologize. But it's been interesting, the space that I have been in around um, the point of my podcast and to really roll up my sleeves and get into the nitty gritty of it and perhaps even add another layer of vulnerability. Because the more I talk about, in my book, Eight Minutes to Ageless, the things that we can do simply and taking less time to become capable of aging with grace. As I've said many times, it's not just how we move or not move, or it's not what we eat or don't eat, but it's what goes on in the middle of our head and the the, uh, the drama, if you will. So let me share a story because I'm going to be over the next few weeks taking the different components of what connotes drama in our personal lives and recognize that if we can recognize it and we can do something differently, choose something differently, we can have much less personal angst. And angst equates to stress and stress equates to trauma to the body and trauma to the body equates to aging. It's that simple. People who have been traumatized physically age, age quicker. People who have been under tremendous mental duress age quicker. I mean, look at all the past presidents that haven't gone gray much faster than anticipated. So I'm going to take you back 10 years to um, a weird story. And again, I'm, t- I'm talking about being vulnerable. And I'm, I'm good with that, because I think that's the only way we can move forward as humans is to be vulnerable with and amongst ourselves. But I was flying uh, to Washington, D.C. I was on a national board and I was running through this airport trying to make this connection. And this particular airport had a lot of lot of construction going on. And so I get in this big Boeing 747 and there are literally 10 people on this plane. I'm The closest person to me is maybe 10 rows up. And I think I've got five rows behind me before the end of the plane. It was crazy. I don't know how they could afford to do it, but they did. And while I was running, carrying my heavy luggage, I I got something in my throat. I thought maybe a particulate from construction. And I got on the plane and I was coughing pretty good and trying to clear my throat and drinking a little bit of the water that I had. And the um, the flight attendant came up. She said, do you want me to stop the taxi? I'm like, oh, of course not. I mean, my gosh, no, I'll be, I'll be fine. So she brought me some some more water and then she brought me a couple crackers, but I incessantly am still coughing. And now we're strapped in and we're taken off. We're, we're, we're uh, heading down the taxiway full speed, ready to lift off. And 
I realize my throat is really getting super constricted. And I thought, oh my God, you know, I don't have a big pen around to do a trach on myself, nor do I have the courage to probably do one. I thought of the 10 people on this plane is probably not an MD. And I remember sitting there and my fingers and toes were going numb and I am getting panicked. I, I can't take a full breath in. And I thought, oh my God, this, this is not good. And in that moment, and I promise you, I was not under the influence of drugs or alcohol. And I um, heard this voice. I am not proclaiming what I know the voice was, what it represented. But this voice said, as if it was coming from behind me, and, and I mentioned there was no one behind me. Do I have your attention now? I thought, oh my goodness. Um, I didn't say anything out loud. I shook my head yes, as if there was somebody behind me. He said, listen, you will be fine in an hour. That tickle in your throat will be gone. Your breathing will normalize. I want you to listen to what I have to say. And in about an hour, when you're, when you're normalized, you're going to think this never happened. So take notes right when I'm done. And take notes as to what I have to say. And I started to panic again and really was um, feeling like I couldn't take the full breath. And the voice said, you don't trust me. So I thought, well, I better trust him. I, that's the only option I have right now. <laughs> so I tried to relax and I noticed that it wasn't getting worse. And what he said, he, I say, because it was a male voice said, you are meant to be a healer. But in order to really step into the role, you have to get rid of your drama. And that essentially is, is all he said, other than reminding me, don't forget to write this down because you're going to believe it didn't happen. And you'll be fine in an hour. And in fact, the voice was gone. The panic went away. Within 15 minutes, my fingers and, and my toes weren't, weren't tingling anymore. I knew I was going to be okay. And I thought, did that really happen? My God, what's that? Who's that? Was it, was it, what was that? Was that God? Was that an angel? Was it, was it a, a trickster? Was it a spiritual messenger? I didn't know. But what I will tell you is that it felt benevolent. It felt fatherly, like my higher power was giving me a message, like just settle down, Kelly. I want to tell you something. And, you know, I chose to be a chiropractor because I had, in, in my book, I talk about that. I would, I would really feel like I wanted to reach out and touch people in wheelchairs when I was a little girl. I wanted to touch them. I wanted to see if I could help them. And of course that didn't work out. I didn't have anybody, you know, walk out of a wheelchair, but I still felt through my touching of people, that's how I wanted to help heal. I didn't want to, you know, do surgery or recommend medication. I wanted to actually use my hands. And so chiropractic, Kairos hand, practicos to practice with became my discipline over time. And um, I've been very um, rewarded to be a chiropractor and very enriched. And I've really considered a huge privilege to be able to have the person in front of me giving me permission to feel their spine, to feel their motion, to feel that where they're restricted, to feel where they're tight, to, to understand where they're weak. 
and to help them. And um, of course, we all think we're not doing the very best we could do. And I, I knew that there was more, more for me to, to attain with regard to my ability to help people. So I started this, this study of drama. I'm like committed to figuring out, well, what is drama? And um, as of today, I'm, I'm writing a second book about the 21 components of drama. And maybe by the end of the book, there'll be more than 21. But I'm going to take them one at a time. And I'm going to start with the biggest one for me. And that was um, my personal addiction to white wine. I had I'd grown up in a family and in a, in a social circumstance where where um, alcohol was, you know, just part of the family scene and it was not a bad thing and people enjoyed themselves. And actually my dad became part owner in a winery for a while. And so there was wine around all the time. And uh, when I was 16, I started kind of stealing it. I did, I have to, I have to th shared that with my father since. Um, I started stealing his wine, which by the way, was not very good, but it didn't deter me nonetheless. I was a shy kid and and um, I noticed that alcohol would make me a lot more socially capable. So that started when I was 16. And then over the course of the next 40 years, I had a conversation in my head about, mm, do I have a problem with alcohol or don't I? And went to counselors and they'd say, no, you're fine. Talk to good friends. They're like, what are you talking about, Kelly? I've never seen you be, you know, ridiculous. But in my heart, you know, in my heart, I had a strong sensation that it wasn't the right thing for me. And to further um, create more vulnerability in my story, I'll go back to when I was in college and Dr. Val, who was the head of the kinesiology department at UCLA, she was, again, I mentioned in my book, very ahead of her time. And she did some um, very interesting things. Um, I look back on it now and think differently about uh, about all of it as the years have passed but she had this one one um person that she used to come into the classroom uh, periodically and she actually did electrophysiological testing with her hooked her up to emgs and then tested her body movement that appeared to be quite unusual that's not the point of my story here but she also um felt that as if she was capable of transmitting a message from another human from who, who no longer was on the planet. And it's called channeling. And in my space today, spiritually, I, I question that now, but at the time I didn't question it at all. And um, she had picked six of us from the class of 300 who she felt were open-minded to uh, experience this. And we sat around and, and, and this woman um, was in front of us and she said, all of you get to ask one question of this person who has access to a lot of wisdom. And we all had one question and I don't remember what anybody else asked because I was too busy trying to figure out what I should ask. But ironically, at age 18, I knew I was not that girl that should be drinking alcohol, but I had so much fun I didn't want to stop. So I asked the question, what happens to people when they drink alcohol? <laughs> of all the things I could have asked. And she looked at me and pointed at me and she said, when you drink alcohol, the spirit leaves your body. And I thought, oh, geez, that's not so good. 
that sounds horrible. And in an instant, I thought about all the dumb things I had done in my young life under the influence of alcohol. And um, clearly it wasn't, they, they weren't excellent actions on my part. And I could see how it was something I would have been doing without a, a connection to spirit. But I spent the next 40 years saying to myself, oh, that's ridiculous. That's not true. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And played many years of thinking, I I don't drink too much. I can go a week without it or two weeks, or I can just have one glass of wine. I'm fine. And, and but But then there would be nights where I'd be drinking three or you know, maybe even a bottle, which was extremely excessive, yet no one knew or thunk, and I didn't regularly get inebriated. That was a pretty unusual experience for me. Didn't like the feeling, to be honest with you. But I knew I was using it to to not deal with what was in front of me, and maybe it was my workload, or maybe it was, um, maybe it was the difficulty I was having managing people or maybe it was my lack of authenticity and saying things to people that I didn't mean because I didn't know how to be honest with them or you know learning to always I was always that person that would always say something nice even if it wasn't necessarily true and you kind of lose some of yourself when you don't have the courage to be to be honest when it matters I mean certainly times it doesn't matter you, you don't need to be totally honest with people and hurt their feelings all the time when it's not the right time. Although I do think it is important to be honest and find the right time. But, but my point was either way I was using alcohol, white wine as a way to just kind of take the edge off, put my feet up, not worry, not take myself so seriously, go to another place of less concern. And so when I started my, my journal on, on what is drama it was very clear to me. First thing was my addiction to white wine. That's drama. I mean, if you can't live, if I couldn't live my life dealing with what was in front of me each and every day without thinking about that glass of white wine I was going to be able to have at seven o'clock that night and making that be a, a, a placeholder for some peace or happiness later in the day, that wasn't, that wasn't being authentic and clean. And I realized the lack of authenticity was becoming um, quickly my definition of drama. So this conversation happened 10 years ago. And then one year later, my mom, um, who had been married to a gentleman who was an alcoholic, she, she and my dad got divorced when I was 18. He was a very severe alcoholic, and because she loved him, she hung out with him, which meant she also drank alongside him. And she realized after his death that she had developed an alcoholic um, behavior as well and had quit. And in solidarity to my mom, I quit too. And um, I was doing it for, quote, uh, my mom, unquote. And then sadly, my, my wonderful mom passed away the following year from lung cancer. And she, she said to me, Kelly, if you, you know, if you have problems with, with, with alcohol, when I'm gone, you promise me you'll get some help. I'm like, oh, mom, yeah, oh, don't worry. I'll be good. <laughs> I'm fine. I'll be good. And so after she passed away, uh, I was, I was good for about six months. And then I started to drink again 
because I quit for her, not for me. And it was shortly after that, that by the grace of God, one of my, one of my uh, patients experiencing back pain was an MD who serendipitously a uh, coin fell out of his pocket where he had proven he was sober for 20 years. And I, he, he said the way I asked questions about it or the way I looked at it made him wonder if I had an issue. So the next time he came in, he said, Hey, you seem kind of curious about the AA meetings. And, um, it was at that point I thought I would go and experience that and see if that was really true for me, if that, uh, that I could call myself an alcoholic. I mean, it's somebody who's addicted to alcohol for God's sakes. And it was a physician only meeting. It was scary as hell. And I went and I opened the door and below and behold, I knew more than half the guys there that had been colleagues of mine for the last 30 years. I've been referring patients back and forth, but I had no idea. And it was that, it was that meeting when I decided, okay, check the box, let's lose the addiction. And I got myself um, a sponsor and we went through the steps and I, I did it fairly easily. And, and then to be honest with you, once I drew the line in the sand, the addiction was very easy to conquer, surprisingly easy to conquer. And periodically I would smell a glass of wine. We'd have people over and I'm fine if other people drink around me, I'm good with it because if they can drink good on them, you know, but I would smell it like before I put extra down the, the um, sink and it smelled like sadness to me. So I realized that things, things that create drama in our life create a sense of sadness and lack of authenticity. And once I quit, I have to tell you the amount of stress, the amount of conversation I had in my head, first of all, about do I have a problem? Do I not? Can I go to that restaurant and not drink? Or or can't, do we have an extra bottle of wine at night? Or do I have to go out to the store and get it? I mean, the ridiculous conversations in my head that took up 25% of my headspace, if not more, I just said, well, I'm done with that. That drama, I'm checking the box. And so I share that with you first and foremost, because first of all, I'm very proud. I'm really actually very proud of recognizing that that was an issue for me, even in the absence of therapists and other people saying, Kelly, you're fine. You're making too big of a deal. But in my heart, I knew. And um, that was my first journey on, on, on identifying drama. And so we're going a little longer in this podcast today. But my question to you is, is there anything that you know in your heart that's just pissing you off because you don't want to want it, you don't want to need it, you don't want to rely on it, it makes you feel kind of bad and you know you're not living your best life? And if that's true, start journaling about it. You know, I can't give anybody advice about anything. You got to get to where you get on your own. But had I, and ultimately I did end up having a good friend I could talk to who helped me take this first step. And I'm very thankful to that physician who, whose coin rolled out on, on the floor when I was treating his back. So I just leave you with that. If, if there's something that is making you sad that you feel like you need, and who knows, it might be Starbucks scones or um, addiction to McDonald's shakes or addiction to um, other activities gambling or sex or whatever the case might be because listen all of us have a pension for something 
And if it's getting in the way of you being authentic, if you can't talk about it out loud, um, then probably you have an issue around it. And it's just, it's just ripe for a conversation. It's just ripe for journaling. And again, my point here is there's always help out there, number one. But my point is once you've identified that there's something you want to work on, getting rid of that little chink of drama really affords you the space to live the rest of your life more fully, to be able to find that next step in your own life that you want to take that maybe you didn't have the energy for before because you spent so much damn time thinking about your other issue. All right. Well, that was, that was a lot. And, um, I will be addressing each of these pieces of drama over the next little bit. And I, I hope you find it interesting and I hope you appreciate the vulnerability. And more importantly, I hope you pay it forward and you're vulnerable to somebody else you care about and love. All right, then. Um, I hope you guys have a terrific day and it's good to be back in the saddle and next week I will not miss it. Hey, thanks for spending 15 minutes with me. My website, pearsonwery.com, includes an awesome, if I don't say so myself, online classes I teach on chronic neck and chronic back pain, really designed to give you tools to kick your own pain. If you want to play on the civility workshop with us, you'll find the Zoom links on that resource page as well. Pick up my book, Eight Minutes to Ageless, for someone who's driving you nuts, moping around, feeling sorry for themselves. If you want to watch online videos of the active content of my book, go to 8minutestoages.com. Of course, a great review of this podcast is always appreciated and even better to share it with a friend. Hope you have a terrific day.